Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 207. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 207 you're listening to. My guest today is Brian Gibbs. Brian is a producer, engineer, musician, front of house engineer, music teacher, mentor, dishwasher, uh, human being. Yeah, he's many things. And he is my guest today. He, of course, made an appearance on episode 206, the previous episode. That was the episode where we did uh, the Music Expo panel, uh, Survival of the Fittest together. Brian was a uh, a member of that panel, and he joins me for a one-on-one interview here today. So, Brian Gibbs coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. <laughs> so, I'm on Reverb.com the other day, cruising around, window shopping, not going to buy anything. I promise. And I have to laugh because I come across the most ridiculous listing, listings, plural. What in the hell is going on in this world when people are selling Tascam 4 tracks for $1,000? Okay, 900 but, you know, shipping, all that. Unbelievable. I know that they have a vibe, they have a thing. But I keep coming back to anything I think about buying that my 10-year-old said that I mentioned a couple episodes back when I was showing him Neve consoles in the six-figure range. And the question is, as my 10-year-old said it, would you make that much money if you bought that? So if you think you could buy a Tascam 4-track for $1,000 and make that $1,000 back on a gig, well, or even over two gigs, great. No. No offense. I mean, if you're going to buy one, great. That's your business. But oh my God, thousand bucks. What's this world coming to? On the topic of cats, let's talk cats for a minute. So I never was a cat person. I've always been a dog person. But uh, over the summer, my brother was watching my house and uh, he started feeding this outdoor cat. And this cat has now stayed with us. She continues to be an outdoor cat, and I've grown quite fond of her and think of uh, cats in a different light. You know, I think that, you know, all right, maybe I am a slight cat person. But one thing I notice is all of my friends who have studios who have cats in the studio posting pictures of cats in the studio. Why do cats dominate studios in the, well, at least the people I know? I don't know. Do you have a cat in your studio? Where do you put the litter box? And does the studio smell like cat pee? Most people's houses that have cats have that cat pee smell. You want your studio smelling like that? I don't know. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, They've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, It's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. 
They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, sit back, grab your coffee cup, take a big sip. I got to get my best low voice on before we talk to Brian because, you know, Brian has an amazing low voice. Yeah, I do my best to compete, but he has me beat. That's right. All right, let's get to it. Brian Gibbs here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Great to have you here. We recently, of course, were at Music Expo together on a panel called Survival of the Fittest, how to really make a living in the world of audio. That actually just aired last week on the show, so it's good to have you here one-on-one. So welcome. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you asking me to be on, and I did listen to the podcast from the Music Expo. sounded fantastic, and the panel did a did a really good job and the questions were for that audience were spot on that the the people in the room when i was looking at the faces those are the ones that needed to be hearing the content and the questions you were asking were perfect for for them yeah i I thought it went quite well myself let's get on to you why did you get into audio what was the thing that got you into audio or person being a bit of a nerd and loving music but wanting to record my first band, I think that's how a lot of people get suckered into recording and not really having the budget. So we tried a variety of things from just a regular stereo recording off of a console to a Fostex 4-track. We even ran in um, a one of the engineers that works here today. We had a band in high school. We used his house. They had a big back room where we would rehearse we ran a snake from the back room all the way to his living room. His parents were gone on some trip somewhere. And we set up the desk in the living room and we recorded to a super VHS because we wanted to try to get the highest quality. We ran it as the highest speed we could. It was our, we got the best VCR somebody had and it actually came, came out pretty good. It was our our, 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 our uh, budget aid ad. Well, that's saying something, huh? Getting the best VCR in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's a testament to how geeky you all were. Some people wait for their parents to go out of town to throw big parties. You were waiting for parents to go out of town so you guys could have recording sessions. So we could turn the living room into a control room. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different take on that whole concept. Where did professional audio you making a living at audio first present itself to you it came in the form of people not knowing what they were doing and needing help and me reaching out and knowing enough to be dangerous fooling around with different recordings like we did with the band and did with other situations and live trying to mix our live shows then having people wanting help and my time's not free so hey 
for 20 bucks and a case of beer or a pizza or whatever the negotiation was, you know, I'll come by and I'll, I'll help you get set up. And of course, the more I did it, the more I learned and the more mistakes I made, the more things I broke and the more things I had to get resoldered or repaired, the better the learning. So let's just, you know, juxtapose that time frame with now. Now you have Toolshed Studios. You share it with our mutual friend, uh, Forrest Wilson. Yeah, that was his, his living room, by the way. I figured that was his living room. How did Toolshed come together? We started in Boston. So we both went to music school in Boston. He was production engineering major and PE. I was a jazz composition major. And I stayed. He moved back to California. It was a series of jobs that he worked. And I stayed, but I would have him come out. And we were constantly evolving this house I was living in. Found little tricks. One of them was using junction boxes and old telephone boxes to not have to punch extra holes in the wall and get through walls. So stop using landlines or don't need a landline in that room, we would take the landline box, pull it out of the wall, and that's where we would run our audio cable because we weren't using that spot anyway. And then we could connect room to room and isolate people and, and record that way. Was this an early incarnation of Toolshed? It was, and we didn't have the name yet until uh, I came to California in 2006. And okay. End of 2005, 2006, and found a house on 20 acres and it was in the middle of a walnut orchard, got a really good deal on the rent, and we did the same thing, pulled out junction boxes out of the wall, started running cables, and the house was built to look, it was a custom house, it was aged, and the house was built to look like a cabin up in Tahoe. So it had a lot of wood walls, which was great, and really high-end, good quality wood, so it was a warm sounding room and it looked a bit like a shed, but the name really stems from going to the woodshed to work on your craft and then us having right. all the tools that you need to get that done. So that's where the uh -huh. name really came from. But I think the impetus for the idea was the look of that first spot we went into, our first dollar that we hang with our business license. That was in October of 09. Then we... Fast forward to 2013, housing market was down, found out that that house could be marked for demolition because of the high-speed rail and where it was going to travel through. One of the plans would go right through that house. And I said, we got to get out of here. And so I was able to find um, this current location that we're at in Morgan Hill, right on the edge of San Jose. I mean, this, as soon as I go out down the hill and take a left, I see the San Jose city, city limit sign but we're technically in city of Morgan Hill. And we uh, got here in 23rd, May of 13. And of course, I didn't want to stop the business. So we moved everything the first weekend in May. And our first session was Memorial Day weekend. So we had three weeks to get the whole place wired to do our first session. And we pulled it off. Forrest wasn't happy because we were here for hours and hours and hours on end, connecting everything, getting the console, checking levels, testing lines, rerunning different snakes uh, to make it work. Are there great personality differences between you and Forrest? E yes. If you look at a graph, he would be the steady line that goes right across from, from left to right. And then I would be the jagged Charlie Brown's t-shirt going up and down and up and down up and down so there's a good balance between the two of us this new spot you're in is it you rent it no we uh we own the house which you know looking at what's happened to a lot of our peers especially in commercial locations it's it's a good thing that the house is owned and we have the the mortgage on it that we do because we got a fantastic rate. I mean, where things were in 2013, I don't know that we'll ever see that kind of pricing again. So being able to buy has, gives us control. Just so I'm clear, you and Forrest own this house together or is this? So I say we because we have a partnership that owns the business, but I bought the house as an individual. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. okay. So I had a corporate job that I had for 25 years as I was paralleling this audio. So I would work 50, 60 hours at my corporate job and then I would spend 30, 40 hours working on audio. So working 100-hour weeks is not foreign to me. So working 100-hour weeks now, well, probably 80 to 90-hour weeks now, all music and audio is fantastic. Uh, when I was doing 60% 60, 60 of that, 50, 60% of that time in a corporate job, I wasn't 
miserable. I did not like my job, but I didn't love it. And I love what I do now. And yet you, you saved all that money. Pretty much every dime uh, went toward furthering this project. At the time of having this job and, and saving all this money, is that what your plan was? Or did you were you just saving anyway? No, the, the plan was to put the studio together. And that was from the test runs we did in Boston in that house and seeing that it could work. And then taking that to another level for the uh, years, the four years that we were at that uh, on that 20 acres. And then coming here, having a pretty clear plan. And the, the house itself is laid out in ranch style. So I can see both Studio A and Studio B from where I sit, but there's enough space to isolate the two as well. And the floors are decoupled. Okay, so you've done some bit of build out. To put the windows in, yes. And we just built false walls. So we doubled up the walls and we used a neoprene rubber hybrid as a gasket. So before any wood went down on the floors, we put this neoprene rubber gasket on the underside of the two by fours that we framed with. So there's no wood touching wood. And if we needed to take those walls out, if we for some reason need to reconvert that wall back, you take the glass out, you take the false wall out, all the insulation, and you fill in the hole and it's right back to where it was. Uh, very smart for resale value. Correct. But the plan is one of my idols from afar, and I just got his book when I was at AES in New York, is uh, Al Schmidt. I want to be Al. I want to be in my later years and still getting calls for session work. And whether it's people coming to rent the space, we, we, want, we want this to be like an Airbnb. Uh, there's a lot of houses in Nashville, a lot of in-law units in L.A., where people are recording. This is 3,000 square feet. Uh, if you include the living space that I use, if a high enough budget project came in, I'm happy to move out and rent the whole rest of the place. And you know, I'll live off site while we're working on the project to rent the entire space and let them stay here. How do you find that living there and working there in that, you know, do you find that that's compatible? It, it is, my commute is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but the issue of when do I stop working, that happens a lot because it, the work is always here. I have to leave to get away from the work. So as soon as I walk down the hall, the room on my left has got uh, some work waiting. The, the room on the right, once I walk further, has got work waiting. So there's hard drives in all these rooms. I have projects on them that need to be edited or they need to be mixed or they need to be something needs to be done or administrative. You know, I walk by the kitchen and there's my laptop and I've got invoicing I need to do. I've got P&L updates I need to do, send to the CPA. I've got to follow up on some insurance stuff, all the administraviata that needs to be done with the business. So <laughs> everywhere that I walk in the house, with the exception of past that set of curtains I put up, I put a tension rod up with some curtains that kind of divides my apartment living space. Once I walk past that, it's all business. What about zoning? Any trouble with that? Good question. The city was great. We did have one issue. Uh, to this day, I don't know exactly who it was. I have my suspicions. I thought it was a neighbor, but I don't think it was a, a neighbor after all. Um, when we first got here, I think a lot of the neighbors were wondering, why does a single guy need a five-bedroom house or four-bedroom house with an in-law unit? And we also use the in-law unit for production. So we, we use every bit of space we can. And I went around, I talked to the neighbors, introduced myself, told them a little bit about what I do, emphasized my corporate job because I had a, a good corporate job. And when you hear that, it's, oh, okay, he's got a decent job to, and uh, has had it for a long period of time. So there's some stability there. But again, why do you need the house? And explained I played music. And I would see the facial expressions and the eyes and I would explain what it is that we do and how how we do it and, and what I spend my time doing. I spend a lot of time mixing, editing. You're not going to hear any of that. Uh, when we have people come over to, to jam or to play, then you're going to hear some of that. So the neighbors were really good at first as we were building out these false walls. And uh, after we put two of the walls in, I had a neighbor say to me a couple of months later, I don't hear any music anymore. What happened? Are you guys still playing music? And then I knew we had done the right job. So on to the city... Uh, when I, I called the city for the final step of the approval, it was like five different departments. It was the building department. It happened to be the guy that took the complaint. 
So I, and I didn't realize that. So I call and I'm explaining to him, I said, you know, I did this and that. Here's what we're doing. And he stopped me. He goes, I know what you're doing. I'm the one that took the complaint. And you talked to me nine months ago or whenever I started the process, but I was really patient. I didn't put a lot of pressure on the city to get that business license and, and get it, everything approved. And he, and I said to him, I just had a neighbor say to me, we don't hear music anymore. And he says, oh, that's great. You know, he, he was, he, he liked the fact that, um, they are not hearing that um, that music. And he said, well, if they're not complaining, I'm going to approve the license. But the first complaint I get, I got to shut it down. So on a pretty consistent basis, I give frequently bottles of wine to the neighbors, little care packages. I even do a newsletter just to tell them what's going on. Uh, they've seen a tour bus here from time to time and they start sniffing around and neighbors are walking their dogs in a little loop back and forth in front of the house trying to see who's here. So the fact that we've had some um, higher end clients come in have made a difference for how the neighbors perceive what it is that we do. I see. And and do you have many people there working? I heard somebody just come in the door there. Yeah. Yeah. So they're working. We've got a session. We actually have a, 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 a band coming in from New England. They're going to arrive here this afternoon, and then they're going to be working here through uh, Tuesday. So the, okay. It, it, okay. kind of that Airbnb, they'll be sleeping here. They'll be working here. Everything will happen on site. We've got a griddle out back. We have a griddle and a grill. So we can barbecue. We can keep the food coming. We don't have to go off site. We can just get everything done and make it really compact, really tight while they're here. Interesting. How do you get the majority of your work? Like you said, this band is there from New England. How, how did that happen? That happens through connections through the partners. One of the partners that's here, he has known the producer for this artist for a couple of decades. And he was originally on the West Coast. The producer was. He's now in New England and reached out, talked about it. And so now that's how that's come to be here. So it's through our connections, but I try to go to as many shows as I can. And I don't really care what the genre is. I'll go to a rap or hip hop showcase. I'll go to a jazz club. There's a rock show, country. It doesn't really matter who it is or what the genre is. I'll go, I'll talk to them. I'll tell them what we do. And I would say the pull through ratio is probably about 10% for every 10 that I talk to one of them winds up at the studio some way somehow maybe it just starts with the editing or mixing job and then the next album around they're flying out here and they're staying at the house and then recording the whole thing here i i got a sense from you when we did our panel at music expo that you were very uh well versed in the minutiae of paperwork whether it be uh insurance or taxes or overall business am i off base there or is that true that came from my corporate job fortunately my corporate job for 25 years was finance and banking and i dealt with commercial lending small business lending uh, mortgage banking uh, consumer banking a variety of different avenues where i looked at s corp c corp llc tax returns uh, insurance needs for liability on lending. And I got to see a lot of that through that time and what a P&L is and what a balance sheet is and the difference between the two and why they're needed and why they're important and, um, and what UCCs are and how you take liens on things. And so I got exposed to that through my corporate job and it served me well in getting this business up and running. But there's a even if you don't have that background, there's a lot of companies online. There's LegalZoom and a bunch of other entities that are similar to that. You pay a fee and they'll get you up and running. They'll get you started and they'll, depending on how much you pay, give you guidance. So having a good legal representation, whether it's through an entity like that or through a, a local attorney, I always try to keep the business local if I can and use local people because I find that when I do that, they tend to send referrals back to me. Having someone local that can help you navigate, should I stay a sole proprietor? Should I become an LLC? Do I need to be an S-corp? That's really helpful. So a good CPA and a good attorney, they're definitely worth their cost, even though they can be very expensive. And see, I always figure that that all depends the necessity of that. Like in your particular case, you have, not, you have a home and you have a studio in that home. 
so there's a lot of potential for liability. And I see the need in your particular case for having an S-Corp or an LLC, liability insurance, for uh, a freelancer who doesn't have a studio per se that people come into. Do you think that the, those ideas are necessary or those, those legal uh, entities? It depends on to what extent. So as an engineer, are you taking cartage to these sessions? Are you taking your monitors with you? Do you have a really high-end pair of monitors that you just, you know how they sound? You take them no matter what studio you go to, or you've got some cartage with preamps or compressors that you use for everything. You need to ensure those. If you are talking about how you navigate getting paid, if you're getting 1099s for everything that you're doing, you can probably get away with being a sole proprietor. And you know, I'm not a tax consultant. I'm uh, I'm just speaking from my personal experience. But a CPA or an attorney might tell you, you get 1099s, you have expenses as you buy gear, you're depreciating your gear, or you're um, having expenses due to, related to travel or going to conferences or furthering your education or membership dues to Recording Academy, AES, those types of things. As long as you have income, you can't deduct expenses unless you have income. You've got to have some income. But if you're getting 1099s and you're going to deduct that income, a Schedule C and even you know the, the step up on TurboTax online, you can't do it for free if you've got a Schedule C, but that probably would get you by for a while. But the issue of liability comes in where you and the business are one and the same. When you become an LLC or an S-Corp, now there's a difference. The LLC is actually an entity. It's of its own. And your personal assets aren't as much at risk if something turned into a legal matter. And we're in the entertainment business. Things turn into legal matters all the time. People don't fill out split sheets. Uh, Now I'm getting into more producers and engineers, but producers don't fill out split sheets. They don't keep records of what time they were in the studio. Nobody's tracking time. Who was getting paid for what? Somebody gets upset because they didn't get scale or they didn't get overtime or they weren't paid right. That's all it takes. And once that starts, you can't undo that. So for me, we operated as sole proprietor for quite a while and it made me nervous, knock on wood or my head or something, that it never became an issue now that we're an LLC. And for us, it was it was important because as a record label and a recording studio, so there's Skyline Entertainment and Publishing, and Skyline Entertainment and Publishing does business as Toolshed Studios. So those entities are one and the same. But the reason we started the record label is if we wanted to sign an artist or uh, do publishing or music licensing for video games, for film, for movies, any of that, which then requires having error and emissions insurance as well. So E&O mm. is necessary unless you've got a musicologist on staff which I don't know anybody that does except maybe some of the majors, but they have E&O insurance as well. You, you just don't know. Somebody comes in and writes a song. You think it sounds great. It kind of sounds like something, but I can't put my finger on it. And then you put it out. And next thing you know, uh, you've got problems. So having something to put a gap between you and whatever you have personally, me, for example, you know, the house is not owned by the studio. That's owned by me. I don't want that to be an issue if something happens with the company. So I mm. wanted to put a gap between myself, my personal assets, and you know my car. My you know one car is my personal. There's another car, but that's really for the for the business entity. I only use that for business purpose. It's a wagon. I shove gear in it. Go do live shows. Whatever it is, you know I want to keep those things as separate as I can from the business. If we were to have any issue. Yes, we have insurance. We've got liability insurance. We've got an umbrella insurance. We have the E&O. We have all of that, but you just, you you don't know. That's what insurance is. It's meant 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 to indemnify. It's meant to, which means put you back in the situation you were before all of this happened, which yeah. before all of this happened, there was no company. So the company might be gone, but the house is still there, still have the car, still have the house, and I can start over. Let's talk about this from a different perspective. Let's talk about it from the perspective of, yes, you may have insurance and you've, you've covered yourself in that respect, but what are some of the steps freelancers or studios even can take to prevent a, a lawsuit over, let's say somebody trips you know, in the studio and runs their head into a piece of you know, a glass, uh, you know, a window 
a hanging speaker, uh, you know, whatever the situation right. is. Right. Are there are there things like that that you so, I mean, it sounds like you're a very, very analytical, careful person. Are there things that you look at and go, ooh, somebody could trip there. We should solve that. Yes. I mean, installing these false walls and putting in the double doors, they have thresholds that I constantly pointing out to people, you know, make sure you watch that. And we tried to bevel the steps so they're not a hard step, but you've got to step over that casing because that was the only way we could truly isolate the doors between the studio and the control room. So having that threshold there was was necessary without doing significant amount of change to um, the flooring and the structure. If if you're in that situation, so it's it's two different things. Uh, the, the analogies I was giving before is where you were taking cartage or taking speakers to a location where other people were. In that situation where a lot of freelancers are, they mix on their own. They've got a room in their house that they mix in, they master in, they edit in, but the recording doesn't necessarily happen at their place. They go to a studio to do that or go somewhere else to do that, somebody's garage, whatever, a live venue, wherever they do that. But once you have people on your property, that's where the issues can happen. So you've, you've, you've got lighting outside. We tend to work at night. So are people going to be able to have a well-lit path to get back to their car when they leave in the evening um, or in early in the morning if the sun's not up yet? All of those things, yeah, you, you have to look at that stuff and make sure that you've got a situation where you could have a potential issue and you deal with it by installing a floodlight or a motion sensor or whatever it might be. Uh, putting a little sign on the wall, watch your step, those little things just to take the extra precaution because you wind up in even small claims court having the ability to show what you've done and the, you know, the, you're, you're the defendant, the plaintiff says, yeah, that sign was there. I tripped anyway. You know, maybe that winds up saving you. So taking those precautions are super important. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, one, excuse the pun, misstep and it's like a hit record in the negative way. It could change your life forever. Absolutely. You know, it can alter your business. It could really, uh, if anything, I mean, at the very least, it's a giant time suck. It is. And it will drain you emotionally, mentally, uh, and possibly financially if you, yeah. if you have that happen. And it might just put you in a situation where you just don't want to be in the business anymore. And that would be really sad. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. If you really want to have longevity, you need to cover yourself in all regards, not just from a, you know, equipment perspective or talent perspective. It's like there's other crap that we just have to pay attention to, unfortunately. There is. It, you want to just do the work, but I analogize it to people that just don't like the... they. 
they like the technology part of it, but they just want to work. They just want to record. Um, I know a few recording engineers and they don't want to know, and they like analog because they don't, they just want stuff to work. They don't want to spend hours troubleshooting why, uh, you know, that plugin isn't working with Pro Tools and calling and I can't get it to show up and I got to be on with tech support and I'm on the Gear Sluts uh, blog or the, the Avid Duck and I'm looking this stuff up. They don't want to do any of that. I mean, I don't know people that particularly enjoy doing that. But I do find when I've got to go to those places, I wind up learning something ancillary. I learned something else because I'm looking for one thing and I wind up reading something else. And I didn't know that. I usually wind up getting something additional out of that. But we all have to deal with those situations where we have got to go troubleshoot and fix something. But doing all of those things and the internships we have, CSU Monterey Bay, uh, Cogswell College, um, CCRA at Stanford, working with them now. I tell those the interns, those are all things you don't want to do, but doing that is going to teach you some other aspect or situation that's going to serve you well elsewhere in your career. So getting back to the issue of looking at details, it's that same analogy for the insurance or for all of the the, the hazards around the studio. You've you've got to take the time to invoice people. You got to take the time to manage a calendar and track time. And you need and and split sheets. Like I brought up split sheets again. But if you're writing music with people, maybe that song goes nowhere. But maybe, like you said, it hit record in reverse or hit record in the hit record sense in the positive sense. What if that song does wind up in a movie or on television or somewhere and there's money? As soon as there's money, it changes everything. And if you're not paying attention to the details and there's no split sheet, there's going to be an argument and the money's going to stay in a pot because nobody's going to get to it because nobody can agree on who's taking what percentage of what. So tracking time, managing split sheets, invoicing people, following up on emails. That was said. Uh, Frank said it. Piper said it. We all agreed that when you're reliable and you follow up, that makes a huge difference. And you're detailed in your follow-up. I'm borrowing this from Piper now, but you know, she said when people email her about interning or getting a job and they're descriptive about where they met and what they did and what they can do and they're concise about it, not a 17-page email, but a couple of paragraphs, that's a big difference. And hey, we met at so-and-so nice to make your acquaintance. That's great because a lot of people, you get a business card, they never even follow up. But that detail of adding a little extra makes a big difference. And those are people that you want to work with. So when people see that you're detailed, it definitely adds to you getting more business. I think that's part of why we get business is how thorough we are in follow-up or how thorough we are in billing, explaining how we do our invoicing, explaining how we track time, explaining our pricing and having that real clear to people they know exactly what they're getting and then they can make a decision whether they want to come here or, or work elsewhere. Well, first of all, I got to say that, you know, you were mentioning Frank and Piper for for those who didn't who weren't at our Music Expo panel or who haven't heard uh the episode previous to this. That's what we're talking about. If you haven't heard that, you can go back to uh that was a WCA number uh, 206. So go back and listen to that if if you want to follow up on that. But to your point, it's interesting because in anything you love to do, whether you like to play music and make records and, and or record, there's always an unfun aspect, even to the things you love. Music is an enjoyable thing to do, but for a lot of people, uh, touring is an, is not a fun thing to do. They like playing the gigs. It's just the travel in between, the long drives, the long flights, the airports, in the studio, it can be all the things that we're talking about, you know, insurance, all that business. So when you're talking about being detailed in your business so that uh, you do pay attention to the important things, I think it kind of starts in your personal life. If you're having a hard time incorporating details and dotting the I's and crossing the T's in your business life, start with your personal life. And I know this, I've said this before, and this may sound absolutely ridiculous, but one of the things that I do every morning, no matter what, is I make my bed. Mm. And it starts with something as simple and ridiculous as that. And that that helps me get on a path of details with myself, with my kids, with my wife. And then, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fall, things are going to fall by the wayside. But getting into the the routine of detail, 
I think is is helpful. I would agree, and I make my bed as well. That's something I do every day, and it stands out to me when I walk back into the room, and it's still early morning, and I haven't done that yet. I'm ready to run out the door. All right, I need an extra five seconds. I mean, how long does that really take? Yeah. And there's something about that level of organization when you start your day that makes a huge huge difference it makes a massive difference in your day because you're starting your day organized it's almost um meditative a bit in terms of getting yourself centered and getting everything lined up before you run out into whatever the day holds even if your day is planned to be kind of mundane the most mundane days can get completely out of control and i'll also mention one other thing too is let's say your studio is a little dirty and you're printing something or something is rendering or whatever, you 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 have a, a few minutes to step away from, from most of us, the computer. John Green, a mastering engineer, uh, he's on uh, WCA number 39 going way back. John, one of the things I learned from him, he said, you know, when you have that downtime, that's a great time to do a little organization. If there's a little mess over here of coffee cups, clean that up. If there's some other business that you can do, do it. Cl- clean up. Make sure your work area is clean because that has a psychological effect on what you're doing. And you can do that in a way, <laughs> I call it Hawthorning. I got that from a friend of mine in, in New England. It was a, a book, uh, I'm trying to remember his first name, but the last name is Hawthorne. He talks about if you're traveling in a direction throughout your house and something needs to get down that way, pick it up and grab it. Try not to make an empty-handed trip as you're walking somewhere. So pick up a microphone. If you're walking towards the mic closet, look around and see, is there anything that needs to go back in the mic closet? Or you're walking to the control room, is there something that needs to come out of there? Or is there a, a you know, my coffee mug, my teacup, my whatever that should go to the kitchen? I'm kind of walking that direction. Try to make every trip useful. Because when you do that, you all these little things add up and then you don't have this big issue of, now the whole place is filthy, what room do I start in? because you're doing little bits as you as you go along. So I, I completely agree with that. In this current time that you're in, as far as your business, your life, what are the things that are working for you that you feel are contributing to your the things that you're successful at today? In my personal life, I, I do, um, it's minutes, maybe it's minutes, but I do try to start my day before I pick up a device or a gadget or turn on a radio or a television to try to think through my day. I also try to do that before I go to bed. When I first started my corporate job, the big thing was the Franklin Covey training and Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly successful people. And uh, many of us have seen that. Did you have a Franklin Day Planner? Oh, I had Franklin planners like you wouldn't believe. And the and then the binder for the archiving. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we're dating ourselves. Unfortunately. So <laughs> I, um, I, I there is something about crossing something off a checklist. And at the end of the day, I remember going up to one of my early managers and saying, you know, now that I'm getting more responsibility, I'm having problems sleeping and I'm stressed. And he just smiled. He said, well, we'll send you to, uh, get, we'll get your Franklin Planner. We'll send you Franklin Planner training. Okay, whatever that is. But the thing I want you to start doing is get a notepad, put it by your bed. And before you go to bed, try to write down everything that you did during the day or you need to get done the next day. And so I started doing that, and it's amazing how powerful that is. There's something, and it's not typing in a device or speaking it into, I have done that, give myself a voice memo or leave myself a voicemail or different things uh, to make sure I didn't miss something. But the act of writing something down really gets it out of your brain and mm. putting it on paper and walking away from it makes a huge difference. And it gives me the ability to rest a little bit better. And then when I get up, I don't want to look at that paper right away. I just want to reflect a little bit, think, even if just for a couple of minutes, think about my day. Then I look at my calendar to see what I didn't recall that I need to do in my day. Then I look at what I wrote down for the night before. Then I get organized. Then I get started because it's real easy. You pick up a device and there's you know 17 texts and you check your email and 
and uh, ooh, uh, uh, Cyber Monday sale, you know. And next thing you know, you spent two <laughs> hours going down the black hole looking at all these the plugins and different gear for for sale, and um, I didn't get anything done. I'm not totally unorganized, and I'm behind by two hours. There's nothing like um, having a whole boatload of stuff that you need to get done, and then you go to check on something, whether through an email or or I don't know. You get on the computer, and then oh crap. Two hours just passed by, and I've been on Facebook. What was the whole purpose of me coming to the computer? Oh, right. And then it's and and you're not going to get that time back. You're not. Why was I here in the first place? Uh, I've done that already today. Why am I standing here? Oh, right. I needed to set something up for that session later today. What about your work-life balance? We met, we talked about the fact that you live in the same house is the studio what about your outside relationships and and your just your general social life how, how does that work for you really good question i'm very lucky to still have both my parents they would like to see me a lot more they only live 45 minutes away uh i was there thanksgiving before that i was there briefly for some other reason and then prior to that, it probably been a month since I was at their house. They do come to come here, but there'll be gaps where I won't see them for two months and I'm just working, working, working. And they, my mom will send texts or leave me a voice memo. Oh, it'd be nice to talk to you or see you. And yet you disappear for months on end because there's so many projects going and which is great, a great problem to have. But the work-life balance piece definitely comes into play. Now, I mentioned earlier when we first started talking, I would work 90 to 100 hours between my old, my old corporate job and, and the music. Now it's 80 to 90 hours, so I got some time back, but that's you know allocated back maybe to a little more sleep than I used to get in the earlier years. I, I still have a, a, an issue with that. A lot of my friends would be like, hey, we're going to go to this thing, but we really didn't say anything because... We figured you weren't going to be able to go anyway. I get that a lot. I get a lot of that. We figured you weren't going to be able to go because you're always busy. So the perception of everybody in my life is that, oh, you're always busy. I guess that's good and that's bad because you do miss out on other things in, in life. You know, never been married, no kids. But I love what I do. And I know that if something becomes important to me, I'm going to modify my schedule. Obviously, the studio is important to me because I do what I need to do to make sure that gets done and I don't lose that momentum with that business and get that project done. Okay, it's two days late. I can't, everything has to come to a grinding halt until that project's done because that was supposed to go out 48 hours ago. So if I'm going to make other things that important, I know I have the ability to do it because I've demonstrated that ability when it comes to the studio and the record company. You were in the world of finance before you were a studio owner. So what is your approach to money and, and your advice about money when it comes to being an audio professional based on your all that experience of, of two sides? Tell me what you know. Two things that I say to people who are in relationships is that always have your own accounts, have a household account, but always have, you know, your money goes into your account, your partner's money goes into their account, and then you contribute whatever your percentages that you work out, whether it's 50-50 or, you know, somebody's a homemaker a lot of the time. So maybe it's not 50-50 financially, but, you know, the division of labor at home is different. What, whatever that is, whatever you're both, you both agree upon. And then in business, it's the same thing. Even as a sole proprietor, I opened a business account right away. And I got a business debit card because the business really didn't justify getting a credit card because um, the business didn't have enough of a history. Well, now the business has enough history and we have credit cards for the business and that sort of thing, but that takes time. But being able to track everything separately, I had to do that. And I've made mistakes and used the wrong card and put something into the wrong account and I make a note of it and I make sure that the transfer out that then the transfer in is really clear and and so it's exactly to the penny what it was because I swiped the wrong card or whatever whatever it might be so that way I can make the numbers balance and not drive myself crazy because I did that in February and now it's January of the next year and I'm doing my taxes and I can't remember what I did 11 months ago so I try to make really good notes on that but just having a separate account 
and putting every dime that you make related to your business into that account, it's great to go back and see oh, how much money did we actually make this year. And, and there were years where I was surprised we did a lot better than I thought we were doing because I thought, oh, we're not busy enough, we're not busy enough. And then you go look at the numbers and go, oh, you know what, actually, we're doing okay so far this year. We're going to have a better year than last year and a better year than the year before. But having having that in the separate account makes a big difference. Okay, now what about debt? Yeah, so I... I have always tried to have a reserve for the gear that we need. I always know that there's going to be something that we need. And we've rented gear. There's plenty of people around that you can rent Neves from, or you can rent APIs or GMLs or whatever it is that you need for your session. And you might not be able to afford it, but you can get that gear and have it for that particular time period, whatever it is. So I've always tried to have a reserve because I've found that over time, buying the gear when it's in a used or on a clearance table, uh, I like to joke when give some of my presentations about my buddy Clarence or clearance. Uh, my buddy Clarence is the best <laughs> because uh, he gives me all kinds of deals. And I'm always looking at Full Compass. I'm looking at Sweetwater. I'm looking at Musician's Friend at all their deals and used gear and going into music stores and looking at used gear because I find if you buy it when you need it, you're going to pay full price and you're really not going to get a break. But if you've got that extra money and you find it and you might not need it right then, but you know you're going to use it at some point, that's when we would pounce. So, uh, you know, this console that I'm sitting in front of, it came out of a studio in, in Baltimore um, and you know, buying this new uh, no way. I saw one go at auction for twice what we paid for it just in the last two years. And it's just a matter of always being on the hunt, always watching and trying to acquire what you need in terms of your signal chain. If you're a vocal producer, you've got those one or two really great mics, a good condenser, a good tube mic, and a great preamp. And then let the engineer deal with the conversion or if you're going to be the vocal producer and your own engineer, then get a really good converter and a fast enough laptop and you got your own signal chain and everything's under control. I say that to a lot of live musicians. When I do live sound, uh, Nashville artists, other regional touring artists, rock bands, either at a festival or at a club, I always say to them, try to control everything up to the snake. Everything in that path, or maybe to the XLR, but even if you've got that covered. If you can control everything up to the snake, then you're in control of your own signal path. So for an engineer, for producer, same thing. Having those few pieces of gear that you really need to get a great sound and then stop and save, 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 save. But it's hard to save. It's hard. You, you see something and Cyber Monday rolls around and I don't, I shouldn't, okay, click. And it's done. So you, you can't let that debt get away from you. You've really got to keep an eye on it and manage it because credit card interest rates, they will they will kill you quick. You hinted at this earlier. You mentioned Al Schmidt. What do you think the future holds for you? We want to be involved in game. We want to be involved in film. One of the paths I've gone down now is immersive and just gave a talk at uh, Music Expo on immersive. I gave a talk at AES in New York just a month ago on immersive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just because when you say immersive, what does that mean? So most of what I've been doing is binaural. So a lot of headphone 360 mixing. I've been taking 5-1 stems and spatializing them and creating these just amazing sounding mixes in headphones. So you're hearing a, a surround mix that you would typically need a 5-1 at least set up to hear but you can sit there in headphones and have everything completely surround you. Right now, the delivery channels aren't really great. Facebook handles spatial audio, YouTube handles spatial audio, but the compression algorithms really kill the dynamic range. Obviously, what I'm doing at 4824 or 9624 is not what you're hearing if I deliver it online, but there are web players that you can build to deliver this content. So some of what we're doing has a lot to do with delivering music in a completely different way. So for me, it's film and surround, 
sitting on a plane watching a movie not just with regular stereo but seeing a movie in full surround and feeling like the all the actions happening all around you and then you take the headphones off and you hear all that plane noise and people are sleeping because you're on a red eye but for the minute for the the time that you got those headphones on you're watching that movie you are completely immersed because that audio is pulling you in you know stereo audio is great but when people hear it in 360 it just it it blows them away what's a great way for people to dip their toes into the world of immersive audio and do some experimental mixes on headphones in that surround fashion that you're talking about they can do it for free uh we're using the hear 360 uh products we're using their omni binaural microphone to get room sound and then mix the stems from the console uh, or the, whether it's a live live show or whether it's studio audio and spatialize those based on what the microphone tells us. So you can get an ambisonic mic um, from Sennheiser or there's so many companies coming out with Tetra mics, tetrahedral, uh, different types of microphones that you can use to get ambisonics and get height uh, channels at first order, second order, third order ambisonics. But before you get that complicated, you can take stems from a mix that you have, or there's plenty of audio on the internet where you can download stems to mix yourself. And Reaper, you know, if you pay for the $99 license or otherwise, you can get Reaper and you can get Facebook Spatial Audio Workstation. And those two together, you can mix in 360. Now, if you really go down the path of 360, you'll find that different spatial audio, just like any plugin, they sound different. So you get different quality from different spatial audio uh, uh, products. Facebook Spatial Audio Workstation sounds one way. You know, I don't use it, but they have a spatializer, they have panners, they have all of those things. So you can work in 360 without spending a dime. And that's through Reaper and through Facebook Spatial Audio Workstation and spend plenty of hours getting frustrated because your mix sounds terrible because that's what it was for me at first. I'm like, why does this sound so bad? And it's just like it did when you first started mixing. My first mixes didn't sound great. Why was that? Because I didn't know what I was doing and I was learning as I went along. I'll put some links in the show notes in regards to Ambisonics and these different things that you can download for free uh, if the listener is curious. Well, we're out of time. It's been great to talk with you and such good information today. So thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Matt. It's uh, it's great. The podcast that you have, it's great information. The guests you have are really good. And it's great for anybody that's doing any level of audio because you've got so many podcasts now. You're into the 200s. There's something for everybody on your site. I, I think so. And I, I appreciate you being a part of it. For the listener, where can they find out more about you and Toolshed and what you're doing. We have we're on all of you know social media. Skyline EP is for the the record label and some of what we're doing with immersive. Uh, so www.skylineep for entertainment and publishing dot com, and then toolshedstudios.com and also all, all of the social medias at Toolshed Studios. We were able to get the same handle for everything. And I think it's important for everybody to try to get the same handle for your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram. So people don't have to remember, was that one have an underscore? Does that one not? Is that a dot? Is that a dash? You know, getting that same Twitter handle or same uh, social media handle. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Brian. It's, it's great to chat with you. All right, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Brian Gibbs here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. So, of course, we have to thank Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme music. And we want to thank Chuck Smith for his wonderful voice. And I want to thank you once again. Spread the word, and we'll see you next week. Take care. 
Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 